greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Six foot six, 468 pounds, and I'm the man that should be the world champion. And April 7th in Los Angeles, Hulk Hogan, what you got on that Saturday night main event in Phoenix is nothing compared to what's going to happen in that steel cage. And when I felt that pain, man, all it did was drive me on, made me train harder. In 1986, I said I was going to manage the champion of the world, and you're looking at him right here. You say you're a giant. And that's what it's going to take to stay with me, brother. You better be a giant and you better be ready because I'm coming after you, brother. Look out now. Hulk off the ropes with a big roundhouse right. Champ off again. Oh, he got caught in a scoop slam. I do believe that Hogan is suffering with those ribs again. Hulk Hogan flat on his back. And he's coming in the iron bars again. 
Hello and welcome to the Hogan Era podcast right here on the two-man power trip of wrestling feed. I'm your host, JP John Paz, and this week we will be discussing everything King Kong Bundy and, of course, the feud with the immortal Hulk Hogan. The reason we're all here, folks, the Hulkster. So as far as this week and this show, obviously the Hogan Era podcast, we've talked about Piper. We've talked about the Iron Sheik. We've talked about Andre the Giant. We've talked about Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Dig it. We have now moved on to talking about King Kong Bundy. It's amazing when you really think about that era of wrestling and you're just sitting there thinking like, wow, off the top of your head, you can just name all these awesome Hogan feuds and how great they were. And if you're really looking at modern wrestling, even wrestling over the last 20 years, pretty difficult especially for me as an old school fan to kind of not think it was worse <laughs> than the, the golden era the hogan era but to just think like who was seen feuding with oh i guess orton edge like you just kind of go through and you're thinking like yeah i guess and i guess jbl jericho like it doesn't roll off the tongue and they're, they're not memorable feuds and none of them are great and the matches were okay you know it's just it wasn't what it was in the golden era where you just rattle stuff off like oh my god roddy pepper oh my god iron sheik oh my god paul Orndorff, oh my god bundy oh my god andre the giant oh my god macho man randy savage i mean just was a different time a different era the guys were larger than life and a lot of times they were large in general like today's topic king Kong bundy was a, a massive man just a huge dude scary guy and just what a look if you looked at him and you just see him walking in the street you probably want to walk on down the other side of the street. You know, he's like one of those things where you do that test. Like, okay, you get, you know, guy A and guy B. Guy A looks like Bundy. Guy B, you know, looks like Adam Cole. You're probably going to w- walk towards Adam Cole in, in an empty alley very late at night. And Bundy was a scary, scary dude. Love Bundy when you think about it because he fits in with that time period perfect. He fits into the Hogan foil perfect. He fits into the perfect villain for the Hulkster. If you just kind of think of, of where Hulkster was at and, and kind of what he needed to be at that point in time, like, okay, he's got to be that great baby face. He's going to be the guy everybody roots for. He's got the charisma. He's got the promo. He got the great look. I mean, he does everything, but how could you be sympathetic? How could we really get the fans to just absolutely be emotionally invested Sometimes you need that heel you hate so much that Hogan's got to end this guy. Hogan's got to beat him up. Hogan's got to give them their comeuppance. But it's like, wow, what do you do with Hogan? I mean, he's sometimes just larger than life times 10. Sometimes it's like, oh, man, how do we make him vulnerable? How do we make it so that he has injuries or that so that people are, are worried and thinking like, wow, can Hulk do it? You bring in a guy like Bundy. And Bundy injures Hogan. And you totally buy, you totally believe it. You just think like, oh my God, Hulkster, I don't know if he can come back from this. Like he definitely has broken ribs. Bundy definitely hurt him. So to me, it's, I don't, to me, I just love the, you could say it's simple storytelling or it's easy storytelling, but it's one of those things where it's so believable and it's so in your head. You're like, man, if that guy ever gave me the avalanche or that guy ever squashed me or that guy ever, you know, gave me a big splash, man, my ribs would be broken. And it's pretty simple to think like, wow, Hulk must be in agony. That guy is huge. That guy's a monster. That guy's literally bigger than King Kong. So to me, perfect time for Hogan. And we always talk about how 
the monsters were great. Hogan versus monsters drew money. Anytime Hogan versus a big man, it's going to draw. But Hogan versus anybody, really, is going to be a big draw. And obviously, that's why we're doing the show. And that's why I constantly say he's the god of wrestling, the Babe Ruth of wrestling, the reason we're all here today. But obviously, wrestling did exist before him and after him. But still, he's the reason why WWF became so successful and Vince McMahon became so successful without the Hulkster. We're probably not talking about that era as fondly, even though all the other guys are awesome. As I've said every episode in the show, everybody falls into place with Hulk on top. So with Bundy, guy is you know 6'4", 450 pounds, just looks the part, is the part, has the charisma, just is one of those guys that you just think about in the annals of wrestling. He's like, this guy is unforgettable. If you remember his LJN, it was huge and it probably legit weighed like 15 pounds. And I uh, used to beat up my brother with him. You could probably knock somebody out with this damn thing. I mean, you could probably go in, you want to rob a bank and knock out the uh, security guard without alerting anybody. Just take the King Kong Bundy LJN figure, bop him upside the head. The guy's probably going to be knocked out for a few days. I mean, that thing was heavy, but. It just looked like Bundy was Bundy, and he made a ton of money off that LJN. So to me, uh, I just absolutely love thinking about the time period and thinking of like when men were men, when pro wrestlers were pro wrestlers. They're not small. They're not trying to do flips. They're not trying to be crazy athletes. They are trying to be a character. They are being larger than life. They are physically going to have a presence. When you go to a live show and you see Bundy, you're like, wow, that guy is massive. Like, Oh man, uh, you know somebody's going to get hurt in that ring tonight if he, if he lands the avalanche, or if he hits a certain move, or if he uses those big boots. I mean, you just think about Bundy, and like nothing but impressed with, with the look, and fit in perfectly with the Hogan monster mold. Like I said, you have Andre, obviously, who he would feud with after this, but you get Andre in that mold. You got Big John Stud. You had Kamala, Killer Khan. One man gang, big boss man, eventually Zeus, all these big monsters that he drew money with. And Hogan, obviously, the, the whole preface of wrestling is to draw money and, and sell tickets and, and bring in an income. But Hogan definitely felt a certain comfort zone and a comfort level with Bundy. Talked to Bundy a lot, was very good friends with him, especially towards the end. Actually, the yet last year of his life, I was his manager. We would, do bookings with him, take him to WrestleCade, take him to Icons in Philly, take him to Legend of the Ring, New Jersey. I mean, I drove him all around from uh, basically Philly, New Jersey, New York. We went down to North Carolina a few times. I mean, we were all over the place doing stuff and doing bookings. And, man, that was a fun time uh, for me. And I feel like it was a fun time for him as well. We get to reconnect with the fans. It's one of those things he always would bring up. It's like, do people remember me? And then you go to the show. Maybe it could be a little bit of maybe – ego or maybe a little self-confidence like i don't know if everybody but man that was 1986 when i made it made advantage against hogan like anybody remember i said they remember more than the guy they saw last week on tv they don't even remember who he wrestled they remember everything about you the nostalgia was real and we get to the show and he'd be like wow you know he's like you're right everybody has such a crazy memory for that time period and such love for that time period it's one of those things where it's just etched in your memory as a fan forever if you were a fan in the Hogan era, you just loved those guys and were grew up on those guys and became attached to those guys in a certain way. So he was kind of saying, you know, the Hogan stuff is, is the high point for him. And, and that is, is you know where he made a ton of money. 
and obviously a big chunk of money. And he had that computer deal. I won't get into that too much, but he had the computer deal um, where he was doing some advertising and some sponsorship with his computer company and made some money off of that. But because he's King Kong Bundy, because he's WWF and because of the feud with Hogan, he understood that. And he said he loved Hulk. Hulk made him a ton of money. Hulk was kind of the reason why he was brought to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And obviously they had some matches over there back in 1985. And even before that, he was brought in. Hulk saw him, liked him, thought I could make money with this guy, which is great. You know, if you're a guy out there and Hogan says, I think I can make money with this guy. I like this guy. He's safe to work with in the ring. I mean, there's nothing negative to say about that at all. You have to absolutely love that. That's one of those things where that's, your bread and butter. I mean, that's going to make you a ton of money and that's going to help your family. And you're going to become basically, I wouldn't say invaluable, but you become very, very valuable to a point where you can make money. Even let's say you have falling out with Vince or Vince is mad about you doing a deal with the computer company. You could do stuff outside of wrestling and, and get sponsorships and do all this other stuff and get unmarried with children because you're King Kong Bundy. And because you're in the WWF and because you had that feud with Hulk Hogan and everybody knows you. And really, if you're a main event of WrestleMania ever, any main event, especially during the Hogan era, people are going to remember that and you will go down in infamy and in history and you will go down as being one of the all-time greats. The fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame did bother him a little bit. And the fact that he's not in the Hall of Fame is an absolute catastrophe and an embarrassment and so stupid. I mean, come on. This guy main evented WrestleMania 2. One of the biggest shows of all time. He's in a steel cage with Hulk Hogan. Just that alone should get you into the WWE Hall of Fame. It's just insane that he wasn't. And I know it's all up to Vince and who cares about the Hall of Fame. And you know, he didn't really, really bother him where it's like bother him every day. He's just like, man, I should be in there. If this guy's in there, I should be in there. Or, you know, if if I main evented WrestleMania two with Hogan, I think feel like I should be in there. If I main evented Sunday main event a few times and we did over 20 million viewers each time I should be in. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's just ridiculous that he's not in. It makes perfect sense to just, Hey, this guy should, you know, should be in the hall of fame. Probably should have went back in the night, the late nineties or even uh, early two thousands or Oh four Oh five. He should have been in. So, I mean, it is what it is and whatever. And, and I know a lot of people don't take it too seriously, but it's one of those things that didn't, I wouldn't say bother him, but it just irked him. They're like, man, I should be in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of weird that I'm not. But it is what it is, as Macho Man would say. So I feel like the heels are always the nice guys in real life, too, especially with Bundy. What a nice guy. You would think, like, okay, he's ornery, he's cranky, he's a big guy, but he was awesome. Such a nice guy. He always do extra stuff for me, give me extra stuff, gave me a ton of figures that he, for some reason he had a bunch he just he gave them to me uh, but signed a bunch of stuff for me obviously signed a bunch of stuff he gave some stuff to my dad my brother i mean anybody that wanted anything he, he did it for them and he did it well and he was such a good guy and anytime we drove he'd always like make sure i had like extra gas money so i always thought that was uh pretty awesome of him because some guys they, honestly i mean they don't care about that stuff they don't think about that kind of stuff he thought about everything and he was so nice and i remember there was this uh, homeless guy at outside of a convention, a wrestling show, and all the other guys kind of ignore him. And he made sure he took care of him. He got him a sandwich. He gave him some money. Such a super cool, uh, nice, nice guy. And I feel like because he was a heel, because he was a monster, people were like, nah, he was an asshole. He's scary. He's Bundy. He's, a, he's just a 
absolutely scary but he really was in real life he was not and what a friendly guy what a nice guy and just had an awesome relationship with him miss him every day i mean it's just crazy to see him go and very sad because he used to talk to him all the time weekly conversations super funny guy super sarcastic guy great guy but back to the episode at hand here so if you go back to september 1985 jimmy hart ends up trading king Kong bunny because if you remember when he originally comes in thanks to hulk hogan by the way hogan's word as king Kong bunny told me got him in there he said bring this guy wf to vince mcmahon vince mcmahon loved his look loved everything about him and said yes this guy's money he fits in perfectly with sports entertainment everything we're trying to do here guy made money in world class guy made money in japan Let's work with him here. I know he could be successful. And then Hogan obviously looked at him as a next opponent. Not necessarily like after Piper or anything or anything was set in stone, but he looked at him as an opponent that he could make money with. He looked at Bundy like a guy. If you put him on a poster, and if you remember that awesome WrestleMania 2 poster, those two squaring off, then there's another awesome poster where they're both climbing the Empire State Building. There's just an awesome look to it and a cool. And if you put that on a poster... That is money. That sells. That generates interest. That gets people like, wow, that's freaking cool. Or, wow, that, I got to see that matchup. And you just put those two next to each other. That's WrestleMania. That's WB. That's the Hogan era. That's selling. That's going to put asses in the seats. And that's going to draw money for the company. So it's just a unbelievable thing when you think about the posters. And I know Kevin Sullivan always says it. I love the posters. Got to look at the posters. How's it going to look on the poster? Those guys face-to-face in the poster is awesome. Epic stuff. So Jimmy Hart trades King Kong Bunny September 85 to Bobby the Brain Heenan in exchange for Adrian Adonis and the Missing Link. It was interesting back then when they would do that and the guys would kind of get traded and moved around and you'd have so many managers. Everybody's under a manager. Not everybody necessarily needed one, but I guess it was helpful or I guess they thought it was signs of the time or they thought that it was a good thing. And makes sense, of course, to a certain extent. And the Heenan family was dominant. And Bundy was a perfect fit for the Heenan family. Him and Bobby the Brain went together very well. It's like Bundy can cut a promo and was a good promo. And whether he was yelling and screaming or he was you know, calm and, and cool and collected, he just kind of had an aura and a presence to him that sometimes he didn't even need to cut a promo. And it was better for Heenan to cut it because it just came off great and he is obviously one of the best promos and one of the best managers if not the greatest manager of all time so he fit in perfectly with the phoenix family and then you remember he feuded extensively with on dre the giant the feud really kind of started during an angle where bundy interfered in one of andre's matches obviously he would really do some devastating work on andre several splashes he gave him a quote-unquote broken sternum obviously all in kayfabe but that kind of put bundy on the map anytime you feud with andre it's going to put you on the map anytime you injure andre it's really going to put you on the map and really going to put you really really high up on the card i mean that means main eventer right away injure andre the giant so they feuded for several months of course they had uh, some tag matches in uh, saturday's main event two and three in late 1985 you had Bundy and um, Big John Studd at one point, Andre the Giant with Tony Atlas. Then you had Studd and Bundy against Andre and Hogan. Of course, the big match at Madison Square Garden was the colossal jostle with Andre the Giant and King Kong Bundy. Even though Andre kind of dominated the match, it ended with Big John Studd coming out 
and aiding Bundy and attacking the giant, it caused a disqualification, which back then happened a lot more often. No, it's not really as prevalent today. They don't really use that as much today as a device or as something to move the storyline forward, but they did that a lot back then. They wanted to protect the guys really at all costs, and I think they did a good job of protecting them. So Bundy doesn't lose. Really, I mean, he loses by DQ thanks to Big John Stubb. He doesn't lose anything. He's not getting pinned, even though it looked like Andre could win the match. So let's fast forward just a little bit here because because of that colossal jostle, obviously makes the main event, obviously pushes him forward. Hogan's going to need an opponent after he kind of gets rid of Piper when Piper won't do business, brother. So you think possibly Hogan Piper would go and have a two-year storyline arc and have Hogan and Piper be the main, ev- main event of WrestleMania 2 and really have a cage match and really settle it there and have Hogan go over on Piper. But it was not to be. So you get Hogan Bundy and you get Mr. T Piper. So Piper does get a very high level mainstream feud on the card. He's just not getting Hogan in the main event as they're working on Bundy. So how do you get Bundy to the main event? Yes. You feud with Andre. Yes. You don't lose to Andre and you get elevated. So Bundy starts targeting Hogan and he says he wants the WWF World Heavyweight Championship 1985 at Saturday night's main event five. Hogan was a dominating magnificent Don Morocco when Bundy and of course Bobby the Brain Heenan come in and they ambush Hogan with a little bit of Morocco's help. Bundy repeatedly gives Hogan avalanches, big splashes, and that causes Hogan to severely bruise his ribs and really break his ribs and injure himself. And you know, like they say, but it's okay. He's not really injured here, but you think, especially as a young fan and as a kid, you're watching this and you're thinking like, man, Bundy took out Hogan. Like, wow, this guy is scary. This guy's a monster. Andre the giant technically couldn't beat him, you know, and and he's a giant. How is Hogan going to fare with this 450 pound beast who just injured him and gave him all those splashes and all those avalanches and he's got the injured ribs. Like, how the hell is Hogan going to contend with this guy and beat with this guy? Hogan demanded that he face Bundy. But really, if you think about it, it turned around where Bundy was demanding a match and claimed Hogan was scared of him. So, of course, as a fan, you're like, come on, Hogan. You know Hogan wants his revenge. Hogan wants him. But heel-wise, you got to you know keep uh, the storyline in tow. That you're this beast. You're this monster. Nobody's scared of you. And that you're going to just destroy everyone. So, Bundy really demands a match and claims Hogan's scared of him and basically sets up the feud. I I absolutely love it. And as you're kind of building to it, Hogan demanded revenge after Bundy demands the match. So, of course, I mean, this is simple storytelling, simple storyline. Heel injures babyface, babyface out for a little bit, injured, got the ribs. Heel talks shit. Heel talks it up. They want the babyface. They claim the babyface is afraid. Boom, the babyface makes his heroic return, wants revenge, challenges Bundy. He agrees to a steel cage match for the World Heavyweight Championship in the main event at WrestleMania 2 in Los Angeles, which is just a portion of the event. Obviously, they had part of the event in New York and part of the event in Chicago, just a huge thing with WrestleMania 3. It, excuse me, WrestleMania 2. And at the time, I mean, this is just huge, but it's one of those things. I always feel like WrestleMania 2, for whatever reason, even though it was in three different states, and it was gigantic, and it was a huge show. Sometimes it got lost in the shuffle because WrestleMania One was so important with Hogan and Mr. T against Piper and Orndorff. Then WrestleMania Three, which is the biggest WrestleMania of all time, against Andre the Giant. 
Then you got Steamboat and Savage, which is remembered as being one of the greatest WrestleMania matches of all time. I feel like two kind of gets lost in the shuffle and doesn't get remembered as much. doesn't really, I mean, it has some good matches in there and it is a good show in general, but it doesn't, I don't know, sometimes it doesn't have the cachet. Outside, of course, Hogan and Bundy in the cage, but sometimes I feel like it didn't have as much cachet as it really should have. So when you're building up to this big time, big time to me, WrestleMania, you've got to think to yourself, okay, you got to build a show. You, you have to have these strong house shows. you got to build up Hogan and Bundy, which is the big sh- match on the card, which is the big show. There is, of course, Piper and Mr. T, like I mentioned, but that's not the main event in general. It's not on the poster. It is getting a lot of mainstream coverage for that. you got to love that boxing match but it's really all about hogan and bundy really the early wrestlemanias were a a one match show in essence i mean it's it's really not except for wrestlemania 4 which is built on the tournament but wrestlemania 5 is is hogan savage wrestlania 6 is hogan warrior wrestlemania 7 is kind of really two match show with warrior and savage hogan and slaughter really wrestlemania 8 same thing hogan sid savage flair but wrestlemania 3 is hogan andre wrestlemania 2 even though it's billed from three different states is hogan bundy wrestlemania 1 is the tag match like i mentioned so they're all kind of one match shows that the level of importance of the other matches are there because it's wrestlemania but it's just not as big as the main event i mean everything is is all about the main event so wrestlemania 2 what the world is coming to and the part three would be from the los angeles sports arena in los angeles california headlined by hogan and bundy in the steel cage but just want to quickly run through some of the matches leading up to this so really in just in general with hogan and bundy a part of the build-up and a part of the lead they start off and they have some matches in New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1985. And Hogan and Bundy team together for one show in on January 4th. And then on February 1st, Hogan defeats Bundy by DQ. Then you move to WWE in September of 85. And Hogan defeats Bundy at the Boston Garden by DQ. Then, of course... In September 29th, 1985, Hogan and Andre versus the family of Stud and Bundy. Andre and Hogan win that from the Rosemont Horizon. Then you get a World Wrestling Federation Championship match, October 12th, 1985, from the Boston Garden. Hogan defeats Bundy there. Then, of course, we move on to the Kemper Arena in October. Hogan defeats Bundy by countout. Then we'll move on to the Keel Auditorium the night after. Hogan wins by countout. Then we'll move on to a week later, Saturday night's main event number three, which I kind of briefly talked about before. Andre and the Hulkster defeat the Heenan family of Bud and, excuse me, easy for me to say, Stud and Bundy. And that's by DQ. Match goes about 10 minutes. Just all part of the lead up. Everything is basically going to be a lead up for WrestleMania 2. You got Andre and Stud still kind of feuding there. Kind of got the Andre bundy feud going and obviously hogan and stud refuting on a lot of the house shows and then hogan and bundy had their feud starting here as well you got the civic center in baltimore in november hogan defeats bundy there then december at the rick mcgraw memorial you have charlotte north carolina baby you got hogan defeating bundy there 
later on, basically a few weeks later, Hogan would defeat Bundy by countout in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Then you got a three-on-two handicap match. Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan defeat the Heenan family. Big John Stud, Bobby Heenan, and Bundy. That was on Prism Network, which was great. The If you can get some tapes or some YouTubes of that, awesome stuff from the Philly Spectrum. That was such a big landmark show from them that they would always have shows in the Prism Network. Not much unlike having stuff on the MSG Network here where I am here in New Jersey and the New York area. Then we move on. Of course, that was January of 1986. We move on later on and Hogan and Hillbilly Jim are fighting Stud and Bundy. Then later on in the month of January, Hogan defeats Bundy in Minneapolis, Minnesota at a house show by DQ. Then we move on to Omaha where Hillbilly and Hogan defeat, but it's Dundee. Uh, excuse me, Stud and Bundy. Then in Portland, Hogan defeats Bundy yet again in February as we're leading up. So these house shows are making a ton of money. These house shows are drawing a lot. And it's really Hulk is headlining all of them. And whether Bundy is in a tag match with Stud and they're fighting Andre or they're fighting Hogan and Hillbilly, they're drawing the money. They're drawing the houses. They're working all over the place. Yet again, we get another Prism Network Philadelphia Spectrum match with Hogan and Bundy, February 8th, 1986. Hogan wins by TQ. Then a pretty awesome match that happens in Minneapolis. Hogan and Steamboat with a very rare team defeat Bobby Heenan and Bundy in a tag match, February 22nd, 23rd. Hogan defeats Bundy at a house show in Denver. Then we get what the world is coming to WrestleMania 2, Hulk Hogan. In a steel cage match, Robert Conrad as the referee. Hogan will defeat Bundy in about 11 minutes. This is just awesome when, when you think about it because you've got main events that were set up with Hogan and Bundy, WrestleMania 2, Saturday Night's Main Event 5, like I mentioned, the two battling over the title. They had occasionally wrestled before, but this is really the, the first national televised encounter like I mentioned, was it was November 2nd, 1985, Saturday Night's Main Event 3, where Hogan and Andre teamed against Stud and Bundy. But this is really the first time on, on a national level, not the Prism Network, not the house shows, like on a, on a national global scale that these two are going to touch, that these two are, are, are going to fight. And you notice Hogan has a very serious rib injury. He's got the tape on the ribs. Bundy is being very cocky about it. Heenan is just gloating the fact that, okay, this is going to be slim pickings. I already beat you up before when you were healthy. Yeah, you could say you were distracted, but we were toe-to-toe, and I destroyed you. What are you going to do now? So finally, the main event of WrestleMania 2 is here. The two square off. Hogan's got the tape ribs. I just love that. It's I know it's an obvious thing or like one of those like, oh, injury tropes. Like, oh, the guy is going to have the tape ribs and and he's going to be selling it the whole time but it just adds to the match to me i think it made it a level of vulnerability for the hulkster that wasn't maybe there before and he's facing a guy that's just an absolute beast so he's got the ribs tape obviously like i mentioned the march 1st 1986 edition of Saturday's made event five where bobby heenan and bundy just destroyed with a little bit of help of don morocco destroyed hogan's ribs hogan is going to just really, really kind of go all out in this match. I love it. There's some, a little bit of blood involved. Hogan rams Bundy's uh, head into the steel cage. Of course, the legendary 
blue steel cage. I'm not really sure why that was a thing or why they love that cage so much. The only thing I could think of is production wise, it's easier to see through than when you use the regular steel cage and you kind of hard to see through. But to me, the regular steel cage is awesome. I just love the blue steel cage because it has to do with old school WBF and, I don't know. I just, I don't, and, and it's easier for them to step and crawl and walk on, but I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan of that. I like the old school steel cage look, and I don't like having to crawl out of the ring or open the door or jump over the, the cage or walk over the cage to escape. I feel like a cage match needs to be settled in the cage, and the guys should pin one another or submit the other one. I kind of just, that was one thing I just didn't like about WBF cage matches, and that was really just WBF that did that. I know. It's one of those things that kind of saves the guy and it kind of makes the guy still look strong that he he didn't really beat him. He just walked out. But to me, I, I just I don't know. I'm not ever a huge fan of those matches. I'm just not a huge proponent uh, of it, even though it's old school WBF, even though it's Hogan era. And I love it and I love the way it looks. But to me, I like the old school, real looking steel cage fence like structure. So Hogan's going to ram Bunny's head into the cage. They're going to have a pretty damn good match. Hogan tries for his scoop, scoop slam in the match, but Bundy is not going to let that happen. Bundy hits the big avalanche and the big splash on Hogan. You think it's over as a little Hulkamaniac. I was a little nervous, a little scared, a little frightened. Hogan ends up hulking up, hitting the power slam, followed by the leg drop. He climbs the steel cage. Bundy catches his legs. Bundy ends up getting kicked by the Hulkster and Hulkster ends up climbing over the top of the steel cage and down to the floor to win the match and retain the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. After the match, Hogan catches Bobby the Brain Heenan inside the cage as Bundy was reeling from that match. Hogan then rams Heenan's head into the steel cage before Atomic dropping him right to the outside and everybody goes home happy and Hogan ends up winning. Just wish Hogan would have pinned him here. It actually keeps Bundy strong because the feud does end up continuing, which is cool in, in an aspect. But I like straight finishes. He beat the guy. I know technically Hogan gets the win, but he didn't really beat him. Didn't pin him. Didn't make him submit. Technically keeping him strong. But to me, I don't know. It, it's still cage match, like I mentioned. You need that pinfall. So leading into it, Hogan's selling. Bundy injuring Hogan really sets the stage for it and really was the draw of the show. You thought Hogan may lose. How is he going to beat Bundy? He ends up winning. Thank God, as a Hogan maniac, as a young fan. Thank God he ends up winning. But it's really not over there, if you think about it. I mean, that's not going to be the end of the feud. They're going to have many more matches, whether it's a house show in Richmond, uh, Richfield, Ohio. Hogan and Junkyard Dog defeat Haas Funk, which is Dory Funk, and King Kong Bundy. That's all in the same month of April. Obviously, WrestleMania is April 7th, and that show with JYD is the 20th. Then on the 22nd, he'll be the Jim and Hogan defeat Stud and Bundy. Then we go to primetime wrestling dark match. Hogan and JYD again get the victory. We'll go to the Spectrum again, not on Prism TV, just a house show. Hogan and Orndorff defeat Bundy in Morocco on, in May. Then in... May again. Hogan and Junkyard Dog defeat Stud and Bundy. As we kind of keep going through May, Pittsburgh has Hogan defeat Bundy by DQ on a house show. We'll get a Oakland Coliseum house show in June and we'll have a three-on-two handicap match. Hogan and Orndorff defeat Bundy, Fuji, and Morocco. Obviously, then we'll go to Fresno. Hogan will defeat Bundy. Hogan and Orndorff defeat 
stud Bundy by DQ. In Poughkeepsie, we get another Hogan Bundy match on Prism TV on the Prism Network and from the Philadelphia Spectrum. Man, they just love that match over there. And it sold each time and it sold out the building. We'll get Portland again. We'll get Calgary Stampede at the Saddle Dome. We'll get Hogan defeating Bundy by DQ. Then as we move along to July, we get another Hogan-Bundy match. Then August, we get a Hogan defeating Bundy and Heenan handicap match. Then we'll have the Machines in a part of a Superstars of Wrestling 6 taping. And this will be the dark match in Baltimore. Big Machine, Hulk Machine, and Super Machine defeat the Heenan family stud, Heenan and Bundy. Then we go to MSG Madison Square Garden. Stud Heenan and Bundy get defeated by the machine. So the Baltimore match was really just kind of a warm up for the September 22nd, 1986 MSG show where the machines go over Hulk and the crusher out there in Milwaukee defeat stud and Bundy in October. Then we move all the way over to March of 87 Hogan defeats Bundy wrestling challenge in Columbus, Ohio. Then this is a really interesting match in Baltimore in August of 87. Bruno and Hulk defeat Bundy in the one-man gang. Hulk ends up defeating Bundy in Erie, PA in October. November, we get a big house show. The Mega Powers, Hogan and Savage, with Jim Duggan, defeat the Heenan family race, Bundy and Rude. That is, of course, from Vancouver. Then we get a big Saturday night main event. Here's the big rematch. Saturday night's main event, 13 King Kong Bundy ends up defeating the Hulkster in the lead up to the big Survivor Series match in 87, which is the first ever Survivor Series leading up to it on 11-11-87 in Seattle. Bundy defeats Hogan by count on about 14 minutes. Really kind of interesting there. Really kind of cool that Bundy is still thought of. I mean, it's almost, you know, basically a year later and Bundy's still getting pushed up the card, still main eventing, still being a draw, still being a part of Saturday night's main event. And obviously still going to be a part of Survivor Series because he's in the main event, a part of the Andre team, which keeps selling and selling and selling, like we mentioned on the Andre episode. Go back to that. I mean, that's a big episode and, and a lot of key moments and, and key markers happen because Hogan and Andre keep creating stuff. So why Hogan is still technically feuding with Bundy, he's still got the big Andre feud going on as well. Because obviously we're past WrestleMania three at this point. We're kind of still going on. And why Hogan versus Andre isn't going to main event all the house shows. You still need to sell tickets and you still need to draw events. So what can do that? And like I mentioned, with all this show through this whole show and all these matches, Hogan and Bundy are main eventing all these house shows, whether it's one-on-one or in tag matches. So they're the draw and they're the sell. So Bundy from 85 to 87 is headlining with Hogan, essentially, whether it's on house shows or like I mentioned, WrestleMania two or Saturday night's main event. So let's go to survivor series, the elimination match, Butch Reed, Andre the Giant, King Kong Bundy, Rick Rude. What an awesome team. I mean, oh my God. And the one-man gang. What a powerhouse, large team. Awesome guys. They defeat Bam Bam Bigelow, Don Morocco, Hulk Hogan, Campatera, and Paul Orndorff. Of course, if you remember that match, pretty damn epic. The fact that Hogan gets counted out and eliminated, you're kind of shocked. And Andre ends up getting the victory, continuing on that view. But it's really cool because... He didn't expect Andre to be the sole survivor. He didn't expect him to win that and to eliminate 
Bam Bam Bigelow last. So it keeps Hogan strong. He gets counted out and he's gone, but it really kept that feud going. And obviously that would continue all the way to WrestleMania four and survive and SummerSlam 88 and a little bit beyond, but man, Bundy kept strong throughout this whole thing. I know he gets eliminated in the survivor series match by Bam Bam, but it's very, very late in the match. And Bam Bam was getting a big push until he loses to Andre in the finals and Andre ends up winning that Survivor Series match. So good stuff there, keeping everybody pretty strong for the most part. Then we go to Saturday night's main event, number 14. So a month later, December 7th, 1987, there's the big rematch and the big draw, and you're going to get 20 million viewers, and it's going to be from the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. Hulk Hogan finally defeats Bundy by pinfall, finally beats him in 12 minutes, and Bundy gets his comeuppance, and the Hogan kind of ends the feud right there. They'll have a few more house show matches uh, with Bam Bam Bigelow and Hogan defeating Bundy and DiBiase in Toronto. Then same thing with Bundy and Hogan teaming again, but this time against Andre and Bundy and Landover. Bundy and Andre take the loss there. And then one more time in the Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio, Bam Bam and Hogan defeat Andre and Bundy there as well. So, that's December 28th, 1987. So if you think about it, the feud starts September of 1985 and ends late, late January 87. Long time feud. And you think to yourself, well, they had the feud on TV, Saturday Night's Main Event. Now they main evented technically three Saturday Night's Main Event and WrestleMania 2. So just huge draw. Huge, really, uh, moneymaker for WB. It's just one of those things where they're on fire here at this point, and, and you need to keep feeding Hogan these great heels. You need to have house show matches that people are going to be interested in and pay pay for and going to love. Such a big, big, epic, epic feud. Just absolutely love this feud. Anytime you get a WrestleMania main event, anytime you have that big of a feud, anytime you draw that many house show main events and draw that much money, you know it's successful. Hogan said he loved Bundy. Bundy said he loved Hogan. They just, I know they just messed well together. The chemistry was there. The friendship was there. Bundy, you know, even right before he had passed, we, were, we had been talking about how he loved working with Hogan, how Hogan made him so much money, and that he's very grateful and thankful to the Hulkster that he was able to want to feud with him. It's one of those things where if you, you didn't want to feud with Hogan, if you didn't feud with Hogan, you might be bitter about it because you didn't make as much money as the other guys. So to me, Epic feud, epic stuff. Anytime you main event at WrestleMania, it's going to be remembered forever. It's going to be huge, but especially during the Hogan era, and especially against Hulk Hogan, and especially in a steel cage. So great stuff, of course, with King Kong Bundy and the Hulkster. King Kong Bundy should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he will be remembered forever. He's just an absolute icon, an absolute legend in this business. Never be another one. Will never be forgotten. And hey, you know, you're unmarried with children. <laughs> you're you're going to live in the lore uh, forever. I mean, everybody's going to love it and everybody's going to remember that. So as far as this week, let's head on over to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. And of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. We'll see you right back here next week for a little Hogan Era podcast. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. 
You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. <laughs>